Hey Crosswalk, happy Sabbath and welcome to the new normal. As you know, this is the last installment of this series and man, it seems appropriate for what at least North America is going through right now. For those of you who don't live in our country, the United States may be going through a little bit of an election. And as of today, the votes are still being counted. This is a few days later from election day, as you know. And I gotta tell you, this is causing stress. It's causing anxiety because people are asking the question, what happens next? And it's a good question, it's a fair question, but I'm not sure that we can answer that question from our perspective. I mean, we've got a lot of opinions, we've got a lot of ideas of what might happen, but we can't actually answer that question for ourselves. So maybe a better question is, what can I control? Rather than asking what happens next, ask this question, what can I control? And there's a few things that you can control in these anxiety-ridden days. I'm not gonna use the term unprecedented because we just gotta stop using that term in 2020. And by the way, if we're using it in 2021, it's not unprecedented, it's just happening still. But here we go. Here's the first thing that you can control. You can control your headspace. Fasting, prayer, meditation, whatever it is that you need to do to get your headspace back, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the evening, the time that you spend with God making sure that you're doing okay is really important. You can control your headspace. The other place, the other thing that you can do is control your conversation space. I have this tool I use when I'm in class, especially when somebody's not exactly sure what they're saying or maybe I don't agree with them. Rather than going to an argument, the first thing I do is I say, say more. Tell me a little bit more about what you're thinking. That generous curiosity that we can have towards one another may go a long way in abating some of that anxiety that we have. As well, you have a responsibility space that you can control. Knowing what it is in your life that you can control and knowing what it is that you can't. You can control your job, you can control your responses, you can control what you eat and what you don't eat. All these things are part of your responsibility space. So work on those a little bit. And just so you know, mood often follows action. Some of us have felt like, man, I don't wanna get up, I don't wanna go do anything, but that's not a healthy way to live. Mood often follows the action. So go take a walk, right? Play with your dog, play with your kids, enjoy some time together, cook, make yourself a snack, go hiking, whatever it is that you need to do, Force yourself to get out and your mood will begin to catch the momentum of your actions, which I think is really important. Because the truth is, while we can't control everything that happens around us, there's quite a bit we can control right here in our own, you know, the things that we own, I guess we can say. So check your headspace, work with your mood, know what you're responsible for and what you're simply not responsible for. It goes back to that second question that we asked, not what happens next, but what can I control? And even though we've answered that question a little bit, there's one other question that we as followers of Christ need to ask. You see, here's where the question shifts. It shifts from what can I control to what can Jesus control? It's a great question and it's answered for us in Matthew chapter eight, which just happens to be the chapter that we're studying in this series called The New Normal. And the fact that Matthew chapter eight answers this question so powerfully 
is, I think, really important for us, especially in this week, especially for those of us in the United States. You see, what had happened is Jesus had just finished his sermon, that Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying, and where he said all these amazing things. And what we begin to realize is that stuff is happening after the sermon is done. And that's the way of it. A great sermon should lead to some great action. And this was a great sermon. And so what we have is Jesus interacting with at least four different groups or people specifically. First of all, he deals with a Gentile. Secondly, he deals with a woman. He deals with nature even. And he deals with a leper. In these first four narratives, we see what kinds of things Jesus is willing to do for and willing to do with. He takes care of the least of these in their context and he blows them away. So we're gonna look at four stories today. We won't be doing all of chapter eight. We're gonna jump through it a little bit, but I think you'll know these stories. Reading from chapter eight, verse one. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. People liked him. People wanted to be with them. You know that feeling you get when you hear a pastor who says amazing things. You just want to go talk to them, whether it's to say good job or whether it's to be close to the source of that influence and that wisdom that's coming out. They wanted to do something. And so as Jesus is walking down, we see that suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, there's no social distancing here, but I want to remind you of something. Even though the leper got close to Jesus, he was getting close to Jesus. We need to still social distance, especially as COVID is rising again in our country. But the man asked a question, if you are willing. The only reason he asked the question, if you are willing, is because he knew he could. So what we see is that God not only can heal through Jesus, but he's willing to heal through Jesus. Remember that question, what can God do? Well, clearly this leper believed that God through Jesus could heal him. So in verse three, Jesus reached out, touched him and said, I'm willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. I love the fact that the leprosy listened to Jesus immediately and went away. And this is the answer of what is God willing to do? Not only what can God do, but what is God willing to do? But then Jesus said an interesting thing in verse four. He said, listen, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest, let them examine you. See, he knew that people would find out about it, but he wanted the man to go through the proper channels and get the understanding. Jesus didn't need the credit. He didn't need it. Good leadership means not having to take all the credit for something that's been done. And Jesus wanted the man to go be proven clean so that then the story would unfold. That's story number one. Story number two. This is continuing on Matthew chapter eight, verse five. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Now, what we learn from this is that Jesus has no problem speaking to and working with power. The man approached him and he said this, he said, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. Now, this is interesting. We've learned a couple things. One of the things that we've learned is that this man cared for his subordinates. And that's another sign of great leadership. 
You care for your subordinates, what's happening to them, how they're feeling, what's going on in their lives. Many of us have worked for people who didn't seem to care so much about us. Many of us have even followed leaders who don't seem to care so much about us. What we need to do is we need to make sure that the people that we follow do care about us because that talks about the quality of their character and that's important. So as the story goes on, Jesus says, I will come and I will heal him. Jesus shows no hesitation in being willing to help this centurion, this Roman, and help his subordinate. But then the officer says something fascinating. He says, listen, I'm not actually worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. The Romans seemed to understand something that other people didn't. The power of Jesus was so pervasive that he didn't need to be in proximity to it. Jesus could will it and it would be true. But also the man knew that he himself was not worthy. Even though this was a man of power, this was a man who had his own influence. He knew that his influence paled in comparison to that of Jesus. We might feel like we have power or the people that we see or the people that we follow have power, but they have no power compared to the power of Christ in this world. And this man knew it. And he simply said, listen, just just make make him better. And then he talks about why he knows this. He says, listen, I know this because I'm under the authority of the superior officers that I have. And I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they'll go and do it. You see, true power recognizes true power. And also, true power is not in position, but it's in the recognition of the power that Jesus really has. The centurion who had a great deal of power understood when he was in the presence of something much, much greater. Do we understand when we're in the presence of a greater power, of a God who is in control of the universe, who has created the whole world? When you pray, when you fast, when you praise God, are you understanding who you really serve and the kind of power that is held within the hands of Jesus? Listen, if you don't know this, hang on, because you're about to when we get to our fourth story. So let's take a look at story number three, which comes to us from Matthew 8, 14 and 15. Jesus went over to his friend's house. He went over to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. This is a short story. Jesus healed the woman without a second thought. In fact, it says, but when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. She got up and prepared a meal for them. Now, I don't think Jesus healed her so that she would prepare a meal. But when you meet the power that is in Jesus, you immediately want to do something. You want to somehow serve that power in a powerful way. When we come into the healing presence of Jesus, we want to respond in a powerful and tangible way. But one of the things that this tells us about Jesus is that he was willing to heal those who had little status in society because women would not have had a great deal of status in society. How we take a look and how we serve the least of these in our community will always determine how Jesus is seen in us. And I want to say that again. How we take a look at the least of these in our community, how we serve the least of these will always determine how Jesus is seen in us. All right, let's move on to story number four. And this one's a doozy. And I don't want you to forget the cost of discipleship section that comes in between these two stories, but we're gonna forego that today in order to talk about this story. And this is a story that I quote often, and I love it, and I know it's a story that you know as well. 
It says, then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. I think you know where this is headed. But why do we love this story? Is it because it shows the awesome power of Jesus or is it because of something else? I love this story because of the power of Jesus, but I love this story because of the reaction of the disciples, because it's so human and so real. As we continue on, it says, suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake and the waves were breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, this is something that happens. This is normal for Galilee. Even when we were there two years ago, we had, we had the wind kick up while we were on the boat. And it's, it's, it's really exciting. I got to tell you, Jesus was sleeping, but it's because he had just finished a sermon. And anybody who preaches knows it's kind of an exhausting experience. You just want to go take a nap. So Jesus is sleeping in the boat. The waves have kicked up. The wind has kicked up. Waves are coming into the boat. And of course, the disciples are afraid. So they went and woke him up. And it says they went because they had to go far away because that's how asleep Jesus was. It's not that the boat was so big. It's that it's a metaphor for how tired Jesus had been. So the disciples went and shouted to him, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. In other translations, it basically says that they, they said, Lord, don't you care about us? We're going to die. And, and I mean, that's a pretty human response, right? There's no surprise in that the disciples were concerned about themselves. In fact, I don't even count it as selfish if you want to know the truth. They thought they were going to drown. They were concerned. I'd be concerned too. There's not really much to see here. But the way Jesus responded, well, that's what we look at, right? Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You who have so little faith. When he got, then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. You see, this is a turning point. By the way, it sounds like Jesus was a little annoyed when he woke up, but for the record, we're all annoyed when we get woken up out of a deep nap, don't we? So Jesus wakes up and he stands at the end of the boat and he basically says, listen, peace be still. That's the words that we hear. I think a more modern translation would be, will you stop it? But what we see here is that Jesus was exerting a power that maybe we hadn't really seen before and the disciples hadn't really seen before. Because Matthew 8, 27 says, the disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves, they obey him. Some translations don't say the word amazed. Some translations say the word terrified. Because they finally came in contact with what real and true power is. And that's really important for us to understand. You see, there is a difference between what we can control and what Jesus can and is willing to control. He can control sickness. He can control disease. He can, he can control even the weather. And he certainly can help us in our lives. Jesus is truly beyond what we have often made him to be. So the question we have to ask ourselves, especially in this time of anxiety, is this, does Jesus still have the same power today that he did? And listen, if you count yourself as a follower of Christ, you have to ask yourself the question of what Jesus can still do in this world. Can he still change hearts? Can he still change people's direction? Can he show us grace and mercy so that we might show grace and mercy to other people? Can he heal us even? Do we believe that those things are still true today? Because I have to tell you, oftentimes what I'm seeing, especially in this 
crisis we seem to be in is a reaction that doesn't have a lot of faith. It doesn't have a lot of trust. And I'm not talking about one side or the other. I'm talking about all of us. Because what we can control is the way that we experience one another, the way that we share what we believe in, the way that we have hopes for the future. I know it feels like we're polar opposites, but maybe some of the time we're not as far off of what we really want. Our paths to get there, they're different. We don't all agree on that. What we still agree on is that Jesus is still in control, is that he wants what's best for us, but he wants to collaborate with us. And over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about fruit and roots. We've talked a lot about how we respond to one another. And that message still isn't going to stop today. And as anxiety continues to be ramped up, we have to choose what we can control. And we have to ask for the help of a God who can control everything so that we might be the kind of people that God wants in the time of crisis. Don't you think that God is depending on his people right now to be the ones that bring calm to a storm? To be the ones who call out to the winds and the waves, peace be still, and we do it in the name of Christ? What are you doing today? What are you doing today? to adjust your life in accordance to the principles of love and compassion that Jesus has shown to others. Listen, if you're in a bad headspace, if you're angry, if you're frustrated and, are, and willing to cause more pain and willing to create more anxiety out there, how can you allow Jesus to turn your heart around? So maybe we ask the question this way, what can you allow Jesus to control in your life? Not so much about what you can control anymore. There's a lot in this world that is messed up. There's a lot of processes that we're not happy with. But we believe in a God who transcends that. We believe in a Jesus who calms storms. And most of our lives, it feels like we're going into a storm, in the midst of a storm, or coming out of a storm. And I feel like right now we're in it, right? but what can you allow Jesus to control in your life? So that those waves and that wind, it becomes something else entirely. Because I gotta tell you, great sailors love a lot of wind. And great surfers, they don't mind the waves. How are we gonna experience everything that's going on in our world today? But maybe the most important question is, how are we gonna to continue to show the world who Jesus is through these times? Because that's who we ultimately serve. Not the president of the United States, not the king of a country, but the God of the universe. This is my hope and my prayer for you today. That your God will transcend your experience of anxiety that Jesus will reach down and touch your heart in such a way that you will be overwhelmed with his presence, that your anxiety will go down, that your fear of the other, whatever that other is, will be abated, and that God will reign in your heart. Because we need more citizens of heaven. We always do. 
But even in times of crisis, we need to know that Jesus, his love, his grace, his power transcends all. Let's bow our heads today. God of grace, God of mercy, God of control. Will you come to us now? Will you give us a sense of your peace? Lord, we wanna see you in every interaction that we have, every conversation, and Lord, even every disagreement, be with us, grow us, and help us to be the calm in the storm that the world needs today. We pray this in your holy name, in the name of Jesus, amen.